Welcome to the Control the Room podcast, a series devoted to the exploration of meeting culture and uncovering cures for the common meeting. Some meetings have tight control and others are loose. To control the room means achieving outcomes while striking a balance between imposing and removing structure, asserting and distributing power, leaning in and leaning out, all in the service of having a truly magical meeting. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join us live for a session sometime, you can join our weekly Control the Room Facilitation Lab. It's a free event to meet fellow facilitators and explore new techniques, so you can apply the things you learn in the podcast in real time with other facilitators. Sign up today at voltagecontrol.com facilitation lab. If you'd like to learn more about my new book, Magical Meetings, you can download the Magical Meetings Quick Start Guide, a free PDF reference with some of the most important pieces of advice from the book. Download a copy today at voltagecontrol.com slash magical dash meetings dash quick dash guide. Today, I'm with Yasmin Morrison at Florida Funders, where she invests in early stage startups. She's also a teaching fellow at Harvard. Welcome to the show, Yasmin. Hi, thank you for having me. Of course. So I'd like to kick things off with just a story about how you got your start. How did you get into this world of investing in startups and thinking about the future, the future of work and all these crazy things? Yes. So I have a pretty mixed background and I've spent a lot of time in different places. So I've done everything from management consulting to venture capital to entrepreneurship. I um, started a few companies back in the days. Some were successful and some were not successful. And um, then I started management consulting. I worked with a range of different companies from large tech companies like Amazon to telecommunications to um, a gaming startup. And it was it was a great experience. I really I'm a very curious person, I would say. So I got to dive deeper into different industries, different business models, really enjoy that. And then I kind of took the part that I loved about management consulting And I also love being an entrepreneur. And that's kind of why I moved into venture capital, moved to the U.S. So before that, I spent time in United Arab Emirates, Malaysia and um, U.K. and Sweden. So moved over to the U.S., went to Harvard for my graduate and moved into venture capital and started with a pre-seed fund in New York. And like many other people, I kind of accidentally ended up in Miami throughout the pandemic and uh, joined a local fund and been investing in early stage startups ever since. Not surprising that you found success in the world of venture capital with such a diverse background, because being able to see lots of different potential outcomes and having the perspective of like, oh, I know a little bit about this and a little bit about this. And so, uh, you know, you can kind of see the angles, right? Right. Absolutely. And I think one part of your question I actually missed, it was kind of the future work. And uh, that's an area I have been very interested in since 2016. And I remember back in 2016, people used to ask me, what is the future work? No one kind of knew. And then obviously in the past two years, we've been talking a lot about the future work. And now it's more of a question is what does the future of future work look like? Yeah, it's it's interesting. We just released our work now report, which is my somewhat snarky way of saying like all this future work talk is really about stuff we should be doing now. So let's just call it what we should be doing now, what's happening now and the trends. 
Um, and I love that uh, you're framing at this kind of view further out in the future, which makes sense from an investment thesis standpoint, right? Like if we're going to look at investments that are going to be informed based on how people work and we want to help companies that are helping people work better together or are going to be more successful because they are aware of these trends and then um, we can make smarter investments. Is, is that, am I getting the right read on that? Yeah, no, definitely. It's it's a lot about, you know, being an investor to look into the future. And I would definitely say I'm a very futuristic person. I did one of those personality tests. I forget which one, but it was like super strong. And like your biggest skill is being futuristic. Um, so it's definitely a, a big part of who I am and an important thing about being an investor. But then I think there's also that if you look too far in the future, then you're actually wrong. So you mm. have to balance that of if it's like in 10 years, well, then it's probably might not be the best investment. It should be kind of in the next few years. Yeah, you know, it's I lived that story because pretty much straight out of college, the startup that I went to was so far ahead of its time. It was basically Facebook, or, or I guess you could call it MySpace, but it was 90, it was 96. And so it wasn't like they were just starting. They already had the product, you know, and they were in market with this thing that was, for any any old timers listening, it was actually written in Flash. <laughs> so wow. Java Spring and Flash. So the fascinating thing, that comment just around being too early is just as, you know, the same equivalent of being wrong. Right. And so what's some of your go-to strategies for kind of trying to dial in that vision so it's kind of hitting at just the right time horizon right so one thing to add there too one of my startups that i had and one of them that unfortunately failed was actually i would say we were a little bit too early so we were trying to develop a barter coin and so we had our own tokenomics this was back in 2015 2016 when the crypto space and tokens wasn't really what it is today so it you know, we tried to explain it to investors and people were kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> what are you mm -hmm. talking about? But it was a good thing for me, though, because it put me on an early path to kind of understand the, the crypto space. But to answer your question, I spent a lot of time looking at macro trends and trying to understand what is happening. I speak to people who know technology better than me. Also try to understand, is this actually possible? Or like, how many years are we until we can have a technical solution? I spent a lot of time the past few months talking about, you know, the possibility of metaverses, because at the moment, a lot of them are pretty gimmicky. And, you know, you, you use one of, of them and you're like, this is a really shitty experience, to be completely honest. Um, so, so that's one of the things, like, will it actually be a good enough experience to... I don't think it will ever replace the physical meeting, but will it be good enough that it's that close? And I think that we are a few years out, although that's the direction we're going. But I think this is a brilliant example of something that you could be happening in the next few years, but it could also be in quite a few years. So um, yeah, you never know either. Yeah, especially with some of those bigger things that, requires so much to align and come together and coordination across companies even. Right. Yeah, no, there's a there's a many parts that needs to work out, so. So I'm curious about what you're noticing trends-wise and when you look at the future of future work, 
What about you know just the the notion of working together in collaboration? Are there any like super trends that you're seeing that you think are going to play out in unexpected ways or or ways that people just aren't paying attention to right now? So I think in terms of that, I think there are a few trends that I, I actually don't think there are trends. I think things are fundamentally changing in the way we do things. And the first one comes to, you know, location. I, I know, I mean, we all have seen the announcement of all these large companies announcing that you can work from home or remote uh, forever. And what I think it's more interesting here, though, is that we have these concentrated talent pools in, in large cities that, you know, really developed during the first, second and the third industrial revolution. And I think these cities will remain important, but I think they will remain a little less or they will become a little bit less important than what they used to be. And what we'll see there as well is that cities uh, will have to attract citizens, cities and countries. And we're already seeing that happening in the U.S. We're seeing that happening around the world. So that's truly changing in terms of we don't have to be in a space anymore. And I like to say that we're entering a time where lifestyle determines labor rather than labor determining lifestyle. Mm. So that means that we basically can can live and, and work from anywhere. I mean, I think we will be able to truly do that in, in the next few years. There's still some limitations right now. And then if you tie the office into this, I think that will remain important for these physical meetings, but I think the role will change completely. Um, you're already seeing kind of hybrid models, but I, I believe that the office will be used more for collaborative work, social encounter. It might be that you meet once a month or you meet once a year even, but it will be like a special time to come together because, again, the physical meeting is super important. And I think we're a long way from, you know, the metaverse replacing it. So I think that will, a, a company, I believe it's Dropbox, they started putting up these little studios around the U.S. for the employees to be able to come into an office space for those, you know, for collaborative work and, and, and socializing. And I think we're going to see more of that, more importance of co-working spaces as well, because you can gather people when it suits them. Yeah, it makes me think a bit about what I really lean in on the word that you mentioned, which was special. and. I think one of the issues that I notice with a lot of people's hybrid plans are their back to work or I really hate that back to work. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Cause just conceptually, like it's, it's like we haven't been working this whole time. Right. It's like, I'm pretty sure we've been working pretty hard. Uh -huh. And our research showed that it was the managers who never fully came to terms with what it meant to manage a distributed team that mm. are really driving the desire to like reopen the office. But this notion that it's special and we punctuate these special moments, I think, is pretty pretty critical. And often you see folks really wanting to find a cadence, like how many days a week are we going to be in the office or right. how many days a month? And it's like, why don't we just have it there when we have a special need and we use it when we need it versus mm -hmm. it's like it's like the whole hammer looking for a nail. It's like we got this office. So when do we need it? When do we need it? And it's like, why don't we just let it emerge and know it'll be there when we need it? Right. So all that being said, I want to come back to something else. You're like you were talking about the uh, kind of attracting talent in the cities, and something you mentioned in the pre-show chat was this notion of global citizens. And I'd like to unpack that a little more because it's a fascinating concept that I doubt a lot of people are thinking about. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think well, it comes down to obviously what's happened in the in the past few years and technology, you know, that we have the ability to, first of all, technology allows us to work from anywhere. And as well now the perception of like the office is changing. So that is also, you know, changing the, the way we look at it. But another thing that I think it's even more interesting is that I think in the next few years, what we're seeing in these kind of Web3 companies, too, is that people don't have to, you know, live in the Valley, have attended Stanford. It doesn't matter as much anymore. And I think that's where this kind of global citizen comes in. It could be it could be anyone who uh, with any type of background that can participate. And again, I think we are a few years out, but we're already seeing this coming back to Web3 again. You know, we have, it's, it's super interesting. There's a lot of company in the Web3 space that are, you know, competitors. And you have one company that, for example, raised a bunch of venture capital in the US a lot of the time. They have this kind of pedigree of, you know, they went to these Ivy League schools. They, they've been in the Valley or somewhere another one of those like kind of clustered ecosystems. But then you have the competitor who could be some people that started it from India, who didn't go to an Ivy League school, who doesn't have that network, but they are still competing and they're bootstrapped with this other player. And I think we're going to see much more of that. And that's really coming back to that global citizen. That's really what it's all about. It doesn't matter as much. I mean, network is always going to be important. But I think it's going to matter less in the future. Yeah, it's interesting this notion of where startups come from and like you know what is that source of origin because there is that classic story of someone attending Stanford and then there's this network and you know Sand Hill Road and yeah. access to all that ecosystem that's happening and we've definitely seen it spread out into other communities and ecosystems where you know startups are getting founded in Miami and Raleigh, North Carolina and Austin and all these other places. Right. And I've even noticed during the pandemic, I've noticed a lot more companies are coming out of Europe even and establishing dominance in the market for different use cases, which, you know, every now and then there'd be a European company that would be a player, but not the dominant player. And right. it's like, it feels like the playing field is leveling a little bit. Absolutely. And I think that's, truly what is happening and we're going to see more and more of in the next few years. And have you noticed with this kind of global workforce or the global citizen, are companies finding it easy to hire employees across multiple companies? Is that something, is that a challenge young startups have as far as, you know, uh, managing payroll across different companies? Is that something you've seen in your portfolio companies? Is they have solutions for those kinds of things or is that an unsolved problem right now? I think there's still a lot of legal, you know, challenges that comes with this. And that's, again, I've said a few times now about why, you know, it's happening, but it's still a little bit longer until it will fully be functional. But there are some great startups out there. There are, for example, Oyster and Deal. They are competitors, but they're truly solving this. They allow you to hire from anywhere and manage this kind of workforce. So I'm seeing a lot of interesting solutions. And um, yeah, I think we're going to see more of that. Yeah, that is really fascinating when, you know, the sheer nature of how people are living is driving new business opportunities because, you know, now companies have to respond to the way people are behaving 
And then that creates a challenge, and then there are other companies spring up to solve those challenges. Right. So what about, you know, I mentioned collaboration as a specific kind of target area, because that's, you know, those meetings, collaboration, facilitation is kind of our core service and interest and passion. Our listeners definitely tune in to learn more about these things. And I'm curious if you're noticing in whether it's uh, future of future work or even startups that you've been researching or trends that you've been noticing in your VC research, anything that you think is exciting, promising as far as just how people work together and the tooling or startups that are supporting those spaces? Yeah, absolutely. There's one space that I've been spending a little extra time in the past couple of months, and that is in DAOs. That stands for Decentralized Mm. Autonomous Organizations. I I was reading a lot about it, and I decided to actually join one so I truly could get the insight and the understanding of it. And it's, uh, it's fascinating. So the DAO that I joined, it's managed through a Discord group. We um, use our digital names, so we don't go by our real names. We don't actually use videos when we have meetings. Uh, We have our kind of NFT profile pictures. It's truly about, you know, how much can you contribute and where can you help? When you introduce yourself, you're not saying, I went to Harvard, I did this and this. You're saying, I can do this. This is my expertise. This is where I want to help. Um, and that's coming back to that kind of global citizen approach. You know, these are people coming together from all over the place and organically starting to work together on different projects. This is a consulting DAO, the specific one. And um, on top of that, you are being paid in crypto. So, so this is completely changing everything we know. And it's also funny, I, I spoke to a friend of mine probably in November. And I was telling them about, you know, this is how I believe things are going to be in the future. And they said, you're crazy. There is no way. And then here we are, it's already kind of happening. And I think there is two kind of things to dive a little deeper into here. And that's the the contribution and the compensation. So contribution is, is really the key, right? It's not about who you are, where you're from, what you previously done. It's about like, if you're a doer, and if you know, you know, you have an expertise, then you can get really high, I believe, in these in these DAOs. And then on the compensation part, it's it's fascinating because, you know, we have been paid in fiat biweekly. That's kind of, you know, the full-time job. And of course, freelancers have a little bit more, been more creative. But now I think we're going to be paid in, you know, crypto, tokens, equity, and fiat a mix of, of all these different ways, uh, which is going to definitely be challenges, but be very, very interesting, I think, in the future. That's really fascinating to me because in a way, the, the VC model is to fund startups or companies that would manage a labor force that then would extract value from that labor force. So kind of just classic capitalism, right? Right. Whereas the DAO is compensating the doer for being able to do things and there's no money extraction from the labor except for the doer, right? It's a direct insertion to the value to the doer, which is like really fascinating. I hadn't really thought about it in those terms. I've known about DAOs for quite a while now because as a, I would say, a reformed CTO, I've been tracking it for a while, but I never really thought about it from the terms of like socialism, capitalism, and then DAOs are like kind of neither, but it's like kind of playing this land of labor and, and compensation of labor. I don't, I don't know. 
Uh, I don't really have a, a well-formed thought except that it's somewhere in there, but neither. I don't know. Do you have any any thoughts on that? I don't know. I think it's still very much taking shape. And, you know, we're going to, it's going to be a lot of changes. I know there's a, a lot of innovation around this as well. Plenty of startup creating these like tools for DAOs. And of course, there's so many questions that arise. You know, if you're being, if you're working together and there's a team with people from all over the place, they're being paid in crypto. I mean, there's so many questions there. So, but but it, it is it is fascinating and it is actually happening, even though I know my friend called me crazy. There is a new world, <laughs> new brain world. And so this group that you're part of, is is that DAO, is this on Ethereum or is it using a different platform? It, it is, it's on the Ethereum. So yeah. Cool, excellent. And so that's kind of, Getting into Web 3.0 kind of land, if we're talking like crypto, cryptography, DAOs and whatnot, you also speak about Jobs 3.0. Is that related, similar, adjacent? Tell us a little about Jobs 3.0. Right. So I think if we go back a few years, quite a few years, and we look back at the first industrial revolution, you know, people really started moving from the countryside to the cities. And then the second industrial revolution, you know, accelerated this. And I like to call this time jobs 1.0. And anything before, to to simplify a lot, would be jobs 0.0. But then you have the third industrial revolution. And, you know, we have the rise of computing and telecommunication. And what happened here is that we shifted working from factories into offices. And this is where, you know, the nine to five happened. And, uh, um, you know, very much the time we've been in in the past decades, decades, we're now entering the fourth industrial revolution. And I think this is really where Jobs 3.0 is happening. And if I had to describe it in one word, I would probably say fluid. It's, it's a much more fluid model. And it comes down to all those different things we touched up on, you know, it's the, the global citizen, it's the role of the office. It also comes down to, you know, your background in education, how that will that role will play, and these new structures of DAOs and the way you're being compensated. One thing as well to add there, which I think is going to be a huge role, is, is truly like your skill set and how you evolve that. I think there's going to be a lot of importance of having a mix of hard and soft skills. So, you know, as we know, you have to, regardless of what kind of job you have, you need to have some sort of technical skills. And I, I mean, I'm personally not, doesn't come from a technical background, but I, I do realize that there are certain ways that I can upskill in terms of being more technical and I need to focus on that. But then you also have these soft skills, which are becoming more and more important. And I actually saw two tweets in the past month that I was fascinated by. So someone tweeted that they said, I, it's harder to find a great community manager than to find a great developer these days. And, and then someone tweeted, it's harder to find you know, a, a hiring manager than a developer. So I think that potentially we are coming to a point because it's, you know, it's been for the past years, it's always been like, it's so hard to find that good developer. It's so hard to find that tech talent. And I, I think it still is. But I think we're seeing that people are appreciating these soft skills a lot more. You know, like mm. the hiring is a huge part. And then the community aspect is, is a, another huge aspect of, of Web3. 
it's uh, so we're going to see more importance on these soft skills and, you know, celebrate those more than we have had in the past few years. I would say it'll become increasingly more important the more that is automated and the more that AI tends toward general intelligence because it'll get really good at those things that can be more tacit, but not great at the creativity, the curiosity, the relationship building. <laughs> those soft skills are going to be a lot. That'll be the final frontier of the AI, and that's probably still a ways off. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And I mean, we're going to have anything we don't have to do is going to be done by technology. So the only things that are truly going to be done is, you know, what humans can do. So, and that has to do with a lot of soft skills. You know, the other thing that kind of strikes me is the Jobs 3.0 is even in Jobs 2.0, there were some serious issues with hanging on too tightly with what worked in prior iterations. So when we look at like, the Industrial Revolution and in the age of factories. Mm -hmm. And I think Frederick Taylor was the one that, like, you know, ran stopwatches right. and me mechanized everything. <laughs> right. And that got copied. And we're doing that in offices and managing teams using these same philosophies. And I don't think any enough people even caught on that that is not a great way to even work in that, like, era. And so, right. like... Like, it's funny that we're we're about to go through another massive shift and we haven't even mastered the current era, right? Like how much of this reductionist kind of belief, or maybe the shift will be about also fixing that and moving away from that mindset too, like, because clearly that's not going to serve as well because redu reducing things to repetitive, very managed process makes us very focused on repeating things the same way yeah. every time which is not going to be helpful in a world where you have to constantly learn new things and constantly adapt. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. So I was thinking, I was kind of formulating that thought and wanted to share it as you were talking about the skill sets and, and how you have to keep growing your skill sets and staying curious. So that's fascinating to me. Hopefully people are tuning into this 3.0 and the work you're doing there. What's a great place for any of the listeners to learn more about that and the trends or what's evolving? I think everyone obviously has different jobs, right? So I think what the best thing to do is to truly sit down and, and take take some time to do some research and look what is actually happening in the future in your type of work. And then look at, you know, what where can I be replaced by, for example, AI? Uh, which skills can I improve on? Is it, you know, is blockchain disrupting my industry? How can I, can I take a course in this or, or what are forms that I can like upskill? And that would be, for example, more of like a hard skill. And then as well, you know, always on the soft skill side, you know, there are certain, I think the World Economic Forum, they publish every year this like the most important skills in the workplace. And it, it is often, you know, like, like public speaking, analytical skills. So that is a mix of the hard and the soft skills. But, you know, take a look at these kind of, uh, different uh, reports and, and understand like what are people looking in terms of skills and, and make a plan and commit to it. I really, really think that upskilling or even reskilling, it's going to be a big part of our future. And we're going to have to be much more, you know, nimble on how we uh, work. And, and I, I think I, I mentioned before jobs 3.0, there's one way I would describe it, it would be fluid. I also think we're going to have to you know, we're not going to work in the same way we've done. You know, we already seen with freelancers how they are 
uh, working in a different way. But I think that's going to be most of us. We're going to work on different projects in different ways. How can you adjust that? And and how can you, yeah, it, it, there's going to be a lot of adjustment, I believe, in the next uh, couple of years. If you were to say that there was one soft skill, it's going to be the most important. And this is probably a hard one to answer, but if you had to pick one, what do you think it would be? I mean, I want to say emotional intelligence, but Aha, I, mean, yeah. I mean, that's like the, the unfortunate part is that that's, it's almost like some people are born with that and some people are mm. born with like super analytical skills, right? So it's like, it's a, it's not an easy one to, to train, I guess. It might be unfair to some people, but I, I do think that is really, that is really helpful. You know, the thing I've found there is for folks that don't find it as natural, a coach can be really powerful. Right. Taking the time to unpack the moments with someone can sometimes train that ability then to to recognize even if it's not instantaneous it might it might still come to you, which can is better than never right and I think that's uh that's that's very true and I think e q is it's a very powerful skill to have because you can kind of understand sometimes before others, but what, you know, what people are truly trying to say and understand situations in a different way. But it, yeah, it's the same thing. If you're not very analytical, there are ways you can, can improve that. But yeah, it's, it seems that there are people who obviously are better at certain things, but, um, you know, I think everyone has the possibility to, to improve their skills. Absolutely. Well, as we kind of draw to a close here, I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, as this stuff unfolds and when we look really far out, you know, because you're talking about the future, future work, like what becomes possible? Because it almost even sounds like boundaries start to blur. And I get kind of curious about what are the second and third order effects of some of these changes you're talking about. So I don't know, have you thought much about like, what does the world look like after Jobs 3.0 is like kind of, we've all transitioned there and what is life like then? Yeah, no, and I definitely think boundaries and, and borders between countries are going to look very different. Um, and I find that very fascinating. And I've been studying that some, for some time, trying to to kind of find an answer to it. I, I don't know exactly how it would look like, but I think in terms of looking from like a job perspective, we're going to have a lot more flexibility, a lot more freedom to live and work in ways that are suited to us. And this is, you know, being enabled by uh, technology, you know, changes in behavior and how we look at different things. So I, I think it's a very exciting time to be alive and, um, yeah, the next few years are going to be very exciting. Absolutely. I'm personally curious, as more of the stuff unfolds, AI's got this current as existential crisis around bias in AI. I think the more global, the more that we become, to use your words, the global citizens, it seems like the equity gap becomes more of a concern of like who can actually play because of access to the technology. And it right. seems like that'll be an interesting ethics question and even maybe that opens up a market opportunity for people to to solve that challenge. I'm curious if you have thoughts or know of people that are working in that space right now already. I know there is a few kind of startups trying to solve some of these issues, but I mean, of course, there is as well. You know, when I say 
the world is going to be changed and it, it might not change for everyone unfortunately i think there are some you know good aspects like i mentioned about the global citizen that you know you don't have to be um very privileged or different levels of privilege to get to certain points but i think there is still going to be a large part of the world that is left behind and that's of course a huge concern and um yeah there is there is definitely a few players working on that and i think we're gonna hopefully see more uh, initiatives to you know to truly remove that digital divide that exists in the world that to me seems like an interesting thing to ponder from this aspect of those that are thinking about this work and and how to shape it you know because it's uh we have a lot more power to do so now when it's early versus when we get there and we go oh, how do we solve this problem <laughs> right no, absolutely. So great. Well, it's been fun thinking about the future. So many of my podcast episodes were focused on, hey, what's happening now in meetings and where are people struggling with collaboration? How could they do better? And so this is fun to just kind of think a little bit about um, how, you know, DAOs and global citizens and these kinds of things might impact how leaders think about collaboration or, or how they set up their workplaces. So thank you for that fun thought journey with me and want to just invite you to leave our listeners with a final thought before we totally wrap today yeah no awesome and thank you so much for having me i i really enjoyed uh, i was gonna say brainstorm the future but i guess it's, it's kind of brainstorming the future so the, the final thing i kind of wanted to tap onto what we said in terms of what will the world look like in the future uh, with you know disappearing borders and so and i'm working on a, on a new thesis that i call the everywhere economy uh, where I will dive a little deeper into the space. So I'd love to, um, you know, anyone who's interested, they can, you know, follow me on Twitter. I'm Yaz Morrison. And, uh, you know, stay updated when I'm actually publishing this thesis, which will dive a lot deeper into what potentially the world could look like, problems we're going to see, and also opportunities in, in this kind of everywhere economy that's taking shape. Excellent. Well, we look forward to seeing that get published and we'll make sure that we get it in the show notes as well, especially if it's published by the time we launch the episode. <laughs> so we'll be staying tuned for that. And thanks so much for joining today. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Control the Room. Don't forget to subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are released. And if you want more, head over to our blog where I post weekly articles and resources about working better together. VoltageControl.com.